I'm Ian Dallimore, and this is Digital and Dirt. I know you are out of home. Interesting, fun, and relevant. What's next? Oh, it's a secret, man. DPAA. Welcome to this special edition of Digital and Dirt. We are backstage in the Lamar Green Room at the DPAA Global Summit 2022. Let's recap with some of the guest speakers. Coming live from the Lamar Green Room. From the Lamar DPAA. It's such a great setup you've got. It really is. Really great setup. And Barry's put on an awesome event. He has. DPAA's team has crushed it. So real fast, tell me about your podcast, because this is where the inspiration for Digital and Dirt started, was with Tim Rowe. Tell me about your podcast. Sure. So three years ago, I was working for uh, an outdoor company in eastern Pennsylvania, and as a digital marketer, I hadn't seen too many channels that just provided the type of response like Out of Home did, and was very, very skeptical and was there to help with some of their digital products and started to, to ask advertisers for Google Analytics access. And what I started seeing was that advertisers, when they would add out of home, organic traffic up, direct traffic up, everything was just up and to the right. So I said, who else is talking about this stuff? This is really exciting that there's such a growth lever for marketers here. And yeah. at the time it was 2019, but three years later, here we are. How many episodes? Oof, gosh, I think we're probably about 150 now, uh, about 105 guest spotlights, and then I've done a bunch of kind of solo episodes along the way, and yeah, yeah, about 150 strong three years later. So, oh boy. proud of you. And you were an early guest, an early was believer. An early. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was just like it was. It was almost an out of body experience because I remember being at the billboard company and. Ian Dallimore was like like this enigmatic figure. I was like, I, I hope that I can just meet him someday. And gosh, here we are sitting on Pier 60, Chelsea. And Living it. We've got a waterfront view and on your podcast. I love it. I love it. We'll give it, give one more plug to the podcast. It's theoohinsider.com. You can access every episode right there on whatever podcast platform you enjoy. And he's got the best swag ever. So if you listen and comment, you may he may send you a hat or it's not as good as Lamar Socks, but it's pretty good. We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm glad I got to run into you, my friend. Thanks, Ian. All right, brother. We'll see you. We'll see you. So coming off stage, Katie Zapata, VP of Brand Marketing at Fresh Direct. I said, have you? Great job. Oh, thank you so much. And so you um, you know a good friend of mine who also was on the podcast recently, Brian Rappaport at Quan, and we love him. And he does such a fascinating job. So let's kind of dive real quick. And you spoke about it on stage, but you guys just recently did a fantastic case study using Outfront Subway to kind of promote the brand of Fresh Direct. Can I tell you more about it? Yeah, tell yeah. me more about it. Yeah. Um, so we are always looking for new innovation. We are an innovative company. We've been innovating in grocery for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So innovating um, with our advertising is also good for us. You know, we... A lot of people come in and think that digital media is the one channel that we need to use, but that's not true. We need all of the channels to work together. Mm -hmm. We're always growing our awareness and helping customers understand who we are and why we're different. So advertising on the subway was really great for us, has always been really great for us, but it was really fun to do some new innovative work with Outfront. One of the ways that we innovated was partnering with uh, So Yummy to run on Outfront's Moments in Food campaign. And we paired, you know, our high quality ingredients with their recipes to provide a solution, quick and easy dinners for people um, when they got home. And we were able to make them shoppable using QR codes so people could come to our site, see the full recipe and get all the ingredients in one place. Yeah. And that's that's a fantastic campaign. And, and being a father of four, 
and constantly running around. The biggest thing for us is like making sure that we have fresh, healthy food. And you and I spoke about that. And that's kind of the biggest part of Fresh Direct. And you guys have been around for 20 years. That's right. This year we celebrated our 20th anniversary. Yeah. And you guys are kind of the OG in the space, right? We are. We are online grocery pioneer. You know, if you think about where grocery was here in New York City 20 years ago, it was a very different place. And Mm -hmm. we've really helped set the standard and raise the bar for what people expect from their grocery store. Yeah. And so oftentimes, and and again, being a very health conscious person myself, it's yes, you can find the grocery store. Yes, you can find the service, but taking that next step, which is what I loved about that out of home campaign you did with Outfront, is you incorporated a QR code. You had a fantastic partner. So that's what out of home is about, right? Is understanding the freshness of Fresh Direct, but more importantly, walking away with an actual recipe and being able to order it immediately online. So some of the results that you guys saw in the, the uh, case study, just kind of reading these off, is a 20% consideration lift and a 17% purchase intent, which is massive because again, oftentimes that omni-channel approach is forgotten in the out-of-home space and it's just kind of like, oh, we'll just slap a, a branded ad on there and people will figure it out. So taking on what I, I like to say COVID helped QR, in a tremendous way. It be, became a behavioral habit that now where people just tap scan and they walk away with something. So maybe touch on that a bit, the use of technology, how it's advanced over the years for Fresh Direct and what you do. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have, <laughs> we're a little skeptical about QR codes too, I have to admit. Um, but as the technology has gotten easier, it's you know baked into everyone's phones. Mm-hmm. We have seen a lift. Um, this wasn't mentioned in the, in the video, but you know, when we started putting QR codes on our subway ads, in general, not just the so yummy ones, we every time we run a promo code, now we're using a QR code that makes it easier for people to come to the site. We see a, about a ten to fifteen percent increase in oh, our wow. promo code usage. Yeah, so it's it's been really great for us. Yeah, and and the ability to take away content, and like I always say, is continuing the conversation beyond just great creative, which you guys, you know, food is also always photographed so perfectly. Um, that's massive. So. Before I let you go, you and I had a, had a conversation about the ability of educating you know, urban kids mostly. I sit on a board for the 3 o'clock project uh, back home in Louisiana, and we feed underprivileged kids healthy meals. The other side of it is the ability to educate kids that may be here in New York, and all they know is chips and all these unhealthy foods. You guys also do a fantastic job. So maybe touch on that, uh, the PSA that you guys focus on and and the goodness that you do within the city. Sure. Um, You know, we have a whole community affairs department that works, but, you know, we're based in the Bronx. So um, there are a lot of needy schools in our neighborhood and our community affairs team does a really great job working with local community leaders to make sure that they have what they need. Um, We do a huge turkey donation at Thanksgiving to all the different, um, you know, NYCHA houses and, and different area organizations and make sure that everybody is able to have a full Thanksgiving. We also work with a program called Cook Shop, which is here in the schools in New York City. And we send the groceries that they need to cook and teach kids about nutrition, similar to what you were yep. uh, mentioning. It's an after-school program. And our B2B team works directly with them and has changed you know, all of our practices to help make sure that they get what they need. Each school is able to order their own you know, set list of groceries and we have changed all of our billing practices. So we make it easy for them. Um, we are here to support, um, in every way possible. I love it. Well, keep challenging us in the industry, keep pushing the envelope and doing more fantastic campaigns that you guys have done. And most importantly, continuing the push for fresh direct. Thank you so much. And thank you for everything you do in the industry. Thank you so much.
right. Coming off stage, my buddy, Jonathan Gadai, CEO and founder of not only at Omni, but also Shoutable. Good to see you, my friend. Ian, always a pleasure. Always I love a pleasure. I love this sneaker game today. I love it. Strong. <laughs> Thank the you. orange and white Thank dunks. You. Yes, sir. And you're always adorned with the at Omni pink. Yep. Spectacular. So Thank you. let's dive in a bit. If you haven't heard Jonathan Gadai's podcast, we had him on uh, this past season, season two. But Shoutable, touch on that a bit. So if our listeners aren't familiar with what Shoutable is, and then we'll dive into what it's evolved into. Yeah, absolutely. So Shoutable is growing and evolving and doing some really, really interesting things to bring together social media with Digital Auto Home. And really that connecting tissue for those two systems is programmatic. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, you know, over the last seven years, we started at Domini in 2015. The last seven years, we've built all of this technology and all this scale of inventory, plugged into all of Lamar's digital auto home billboards. And we said, okay, now that that chapter is, is done, what do we, what's the next chapter look like? And just thinking about yourself as a consumer where you're on Instagram, you're on LinkedIn, you're on mm-hmm. TikTok, how do we bring some of what's happening there into the physical world and actually make the content on the screen jump out at you, shout at you mm-hmm. in a way that's really never been done before. And so that's what Shoutable is. Yeah, and it's uh, what's amazing about it is you've tapped into this world of you know what we call the influencer economy mm-hmm. and the social media world. They're living it and they're they're propping up these people, these influencers, for free. Because obviously you have your own TikTok page, your own Instagram stories, you're posting these stories, you're elevating yourself, now you're set up with a brand. But Jonathan, you've done such a fascinating concept of bringing in these influencers that are now finding themselves on billboards and showing the ease of the use. And I think what's happening, like Charlie D'Amelio did for Mother's Day, uh, my boy... Jesus, he's the greatest. Two-turn Tony, him and his duck. <laughs> the greatest literal montage on TikTok ever was him showing his dad live on a digital board yeah. with a duck and a mom just losing her shit. It was the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, these social media platforms are, you know, where people are spending so much of their time and energy. Mm-hmm. And as consumers, we are doing that because we're able to discover new things. And maybe it's products, maybe it's trends, maybe it's just entertainment. Like the, it, it creates a lot of different value props for a consumer. Um, and so we started with Shoutable by saying, do consumers actually want to spend their own money to put themselves on digital billboards? Mm-hmm. We partner with some of the, the biggest influencers out there, some of the most fun yep. ones like you mentioned. And we showed that for Mother's Day, there were thousands of people that wanted to do it. And then for Father's Day, there was about 12,000 people that placed an order. We said, okay, great. Check that box off. Consumers are showing that this is an interesting space for them to be part of. And for us, the, this evolution is really now switching to the brand side, mm-hmm. which is where it's really exciting for us, where instead of a brand... What they do on social is they'll create content with these influencers, but it's authentic content. Mm-hmm. It's them using the product. It's them having fun with it where you can't really tell, is that a ad or is that a piece of content that, that was organically posted? And we said, how do we do the same thing in, in the physical world? And what we did with WAG, you know, with Lamar yep. mm-hmm. was a fun one where for National Dog Day, people could put their dogs up and them, the humans with the dogs yep. on digital billboards. Um, we think that that's the next phase where you, where you have this constantly fresh stream of content, which is consumer generated, user generated, but it's being brought to you by the brand. 
where they're inviting you into right. their mm-hmm. at-home campaign, and all of a sudden, that's what gets shared. That's what gets put into people's text message threads right. and shared yep. with their friends and family. And, and that's how we spread out-of-home's goodness um, by having there be like a people-focused element to it. So you, you envision a Purina sponsoring Dog Day. Yep. And then now that brand is Purina is associated with, hey, all you have to do is interact with the brand, post this hashtag. That That's massive. Yeah. And it, and it wouldn't even just be National Dog Day. So our vision for Shoutable is it's actually a social platform in the only truly social world, which is out of home. Correct. Where you're with people, where you're actually physically interacting with people. And so Purina could celebrate National Dog Day on that one day, but they could also throughout the year have templates that are always on. Mm -hmm. And they're basically saying, hey, if you want to share your dog story, your piece of content as part of our template, then this is something that you don't have to pay any money for, but you could be on a roadside digital billboard that literally is 48 feet wide uh, whenever you want. And I can envision that moving towards packaging and moving towards experience. So that that's exciting. So last, last topic, and you kind of alluded to this as you left stage at the, uh, at the DPAA conference here in the back in the Lamar green room, programmatic and creative touch on that a bit, how it's enhanced creativity because that that was the biggest fear right Jonathan is programmatic is going to kill creative and it's going to make everything autonomous and take out the the selling aspect take out the inside of thing it's just going to be a bunch of like beep boop beep boop pressing right. numbers right completely false so completely mythify that for me yeah totally so what what it's really interesting what programmatic has done is it's changed a digital billboard from one slot of eight, let's say, that rotates constantly to every single ad play is its own opportunity to put up some content. And when you think of all the creative ways that you could leverage that, you look at online and, and take even, say, you know, TikTok or, or, or Facebook's messaging, they're not putting up one or two or three pieces of content. Every day, mm-hmm. there's fresh new content. It's being you know, it, some of it's being targeted to very specific people and some of it's just, hey, we're just swapping it up. New colors, new looks. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they do that and the reason why those platforms are so successful and growing is because it, it fights the ad fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yep. It keeps people wanting to look, wanting to engage, keeps it fresh. And programmatic, now that you have a buying platform like Shoutable or if you go to a Domini's DSP, mm-hmm. you could be cycling out creative where every day when someone leaves their house and drives down the highway to their office, they could be seeing a different version of your ad. And that's, I think, what draws their attention. Yep. And when you put people into that, and we, we, I just said on stage, this is you know something that I really believe, that people trust people, not platforms. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's ultimately, I think, what it's all about is how do we get more people involved? And then ultimately, we become part of the social media buy, mm-hmm. the social media creative strategy. And that's where the growth comes from. I love it. Look, you and I can talk, obviously, for hours, but I'm so glad we got to have this moment. I'm excited to see what Shoutable continues to bring. And, you know. And we've got to shoot some hoops in Vegas next month. The floor is down. Yeah. The the, uh, court is waiting for you. So we'll get a a game of horse going. All right, my friend. Always great to see you. Likewise. All right. Just coming off stage at the DPAA Lamar Green Room, my good friend, the OG of Programmatic, CEO and co-founder at Vistar Media. Good to have you, Mr. Michael Provenzano. Thanks, Ian. Always good to be here. I feel like we're on Rogan right now. This yeah, feels really go. epic. Right. Where's the cigar? We're just at? not as cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Dude, you were one of my first guests on the podcast, season yeah. one. Season one. Yeah, so so much has changed. Um, I won't keep you long. I know you're the very- people got better? Is that yeah, what you People got way better. <laughs> you know, we had to up our game. We were started yeah. slow just in yeah. case that this thing crashed. Yeah, but, you weren't yeah. getting the right ad dollars. You right. Need, you need better content. <laughs> Here we are, season three. <laughs> I love it. We definitely have to have you back. A lot has changed. Um, yeah. You just came off the stage at the yeah. DPW event. Obviously, we just talked about- the evolution of Vistar. Sure. And you never stop evolving. You continue to heavily focus on technology. One of the things we could talk about, so many things, yeah. but you just got off a stage and talked about uh, Twitter, real-time NBA playoffs. Yeah, amazing. And a fantastic campaign. You guys recently also rolled out um, the ability to have location, real-time dynamic yes. location. So we've ran some New Balance campaigns, a right. awesome. um, handful of others. Uh, weather is obviously an, yes. an easy. So the evolution of the company yep. and that mindset, touch on that just a tad on the focus of technology and never staying still. Totally. You and I obviously know each other so well. So for everyone else, like it's a personality trait, right? Mm-hmm. Like I get bored really easily. You know, I, I love new challenges. Like what else can we go after? And um, a lot of the team is really good at scaling out the solutions and things that we work on as a company. So when you start seeing things produce revenue, basically, you look at it and you're like, okay, this is this is working and we can train more people at this, we can add more bodies, we can grow and get it done. And what, where I spend a lot of my time with people like you, Ian, is, is like, what is next? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most exciting side of it at the end of the day. And there's some people who like the scaling out the business side of it, hence why I hired a COO recently. Right. Well people done. who care about a lot of that stuff, you know? But yeah, for me as an entrepreneur and for you, you've always been on the side of innovation. It's, it really is always saying like, let's push the envelope, mm-hmm. what's next? Um, and that drives us, you know? And at, and at the end of the day, fortunately, it, it drives revenue for everyone involved, which is great. Well, yeah, and that's, that's the common misconception of innovation and change is a lot of people think like, oh, you're just trying to disrupt something just because that's you and I's personality. But the reality of it is, is it allows publishers to have something new. It allows your sales team to look out and go out to these, you know, your own DSP, the omni-channel DSPs and brands and agencies and talk about something. And now, totally. as I've mentioned, we're now seeing brands that haven't purchased in the out-of-home space either in a very long time or, more importantly, ever. And that's what's happening. Exactly. So the last topic just to touch on, because we'll definitely have to go deeper into this oh, yeah. uh, on another episode, mediation. Oh, so man. explain what mediation is, the challenges that you face with it. Sure. And why, and I'll, I'll yeah. tell you flat out why I'm so expl- excited about it. Totally, yeah. You know, it, it's a, there are a lot of words that get thrown around for for mediation, header bidding, and all these different things in the online space. Um, and really, the, the concept is pretty straightforward. Is there are a lot of uh, companies that are, you know, fighting to make money for media owners, and the idea is that as the media owner, you should almost always try to gain the largest price for it. Mm-hmm. So there should be a unified auction. Everyone should compete fairly on that, and you know way most people were running their auction process before any mediation minus Lamar. Lamar has a pretty advanced tech team, but most media owners, they were uh, just waterfalling where it was hey, I have to choose this SSP over another SSP. Now people can say let's put them all against each other. Mm-hmm. Whoever wins wins. Yep. So I like it. I'm, you know, I'm an athlete by background, so are you. And so uh, I love competing. Like, let's go. Let's lace up. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm excited about mediation. It's one of those ones where it's like, hey, 
it's all talk until you're on the court, right? Yeah, so for sure. It's been and, fun. And and look, data doesn't lie, right? Nope. And from a from a publisher's perspective, it's exciting because now we can start to build out the true price optimization tools. Exactly. We can really hone in and focus on data. Yeah. One of the secrets that Lamar's used is the ability to start to see where are bids happening and yes. how much revenue is actually being lost because either totally. lost bids or yes. most importantly, because there's not enough inventory in any given DMA. Exactly. And that's exciting. It's funny, you know, and that was a big thing you and I, you know, you were in the inside loop of mediation when it was getting built um, early last year and um, or late last year and early this year. And the big piece of the product was we were debating on if we would release mediation it's not a very tangible thing. It's not like mm. a, I'm going to, oh, cool, you're, you know, you're making a, uh, an auction fair and competitive and all this stuff. It's, it's hard to see that. So it's funny, in conjunction with mediation, as you know, we released auction analytics, mm-hmm. which gives publishers this, this UI where you can visualize literally everything that's going on across these options, and you can find the, the bidders that are bidding higher. You can adjust your prices. You can do mm-hmm. all of that. So... To us, uh, mediation has to go hand-in-hand hand with an analytics suite. Right. Is if you don't have that, it, it, it's kind of uh, just a black box of, of uh, nerd talk. <laughs> yeah. Well, and lastly, the exciting thing as well is, you know, Vistar was one of the very beginnings of out-of-home programmatic. And what I love is that you've brought in Place Exchange, you brought in Hive, Hivestack, you've brought in um, Broadsign, and collaboratively, you guys have all agreed upon that mediation is a great thing. And, you know, here at the event earlier, one of the SSPs I just mentioned said like, man, it's super exciting about mediation that you've built out. And it, totally. you, you continue to be a pioneer and evolve the industry, but more importantly, bring everyone else in. Absolutely. Because you know competition's fun and sometimes, you know. It's fun and it's important. I mean, you know, we just did our announcement with Place Exchange today, actually. Right. It came out in the press uh, of that partnership. And, it's really exciting, right? Like they've done a great job in their business, and most of our competitors have done a great job building tens of millions of dollars of value in the programmatic ecosystem. So, to me, that's just growing the pie, and I want to talk about a large TAM, a whole total addressable market. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I'm excited for them, excited for all of us to kind of benefit from this, and especially for publishers. Yeah. So you've you've done this, so you don't have to answer this, but what's next? Oh, it's a secret, man. Yeah. Next podcast. Exciting. We'll, we'll, we'll release it. <laughs> All right, bro. Always good seeing you. Same. Thanks for having me in your city two weeks in uh, a row. Yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll go out tonight. It'll be fun. Love it. All right. Thanks. Ian. All right. Coming off stage, uh, Erica Wicksneed with Adidas, VP of Global Marketing. I have to say, I'm a bit of a sneakerhead. You and I were talking about it. Out of the 185 pair that I have, I'm an idiot and wearing dunks. What an asshole. <laughs> the, day, the day I'm on stage. But I do, because I had to look look at my little library, I do own the Bad Bunny form buckle. Yeah. The blues. Yeah, the blues. Yeah. Oh, you just got them. No, I, I've had them for a bit. How did you get them for a bit? I had to buy them on goat. Ah. Spend cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous. Okay. You're a fascinating woman. Like, beyond ah, fascinating. Thank you. Um, I know you've heard that a bit back here in the green room, but you and I got to chat with a few others, just like the importance of Web3. Yeah. Which is foreign to a lot of people, but one of your slides on stage talked about how Nike entered the space and they went the Roblox route and you guys entered Web3. Yep. Sandblot. Yeah. So touch on it a bit and the importance of it. Yeah. In the gaming Web2 world, let's say the dot-com era that we're in today, the internet allowed you to read and write. But what it did was not allow you to own that content. And so... 
creators that are creating content, which basically are creating the value and the reason why Instagram's sticky, why Facebook's sticky, why Twitter's creative and compelling, you want to go there for your information, is everything to do with the creators that are making the space interesting, fun, and relevant. But they don't own any of that, and they can get shut out of the platform anytime. And Web3, with the emergence of blockchain technology, the big difference is you can read, write, and own Mm-hmm. And so it's a much more positive incentive for creators to put their content on chain because it's enshrined in code and in perpetuity they will get credit for that idea, that concept, that hard work, that sweat that went into whatever it is they're creating, whether it's a song, a piece of art, an idea. Um, so as a brand that wants to stand with this next generation of creators and really behave like the creator brand that we are at Adidas... It was important for us to figure out what's the most natural, credible place for us to play. And so it wasn't necessarily going in to a gaming world and creating an experience in a gaming land. It was partnering with the builders and doers of the next generation of the internet. They're going to make all the cool shit, the hot next song, the awesome new skins and outfits, and really influencing the emergence of new culture. So that's the, that's the reason why we chose Open Metaverse. It's also the reason why we didn't choose to do it through acquisition of a company necessarily, but we felt it was important for us to do it directly as a brand. Yeah. And I think it fits in with Adidas. So you guys have always been a cultural brand, culture first, and what better way than to live in a, at a different universe, basically. So you talked about skins a good bit. Yeah. And so we both have young kids. We shared with each other. Mm-hmm. Yours a little bit younger than mine. Yep. But the world that they know like Erica, my 10-year-olds, that's all they know is Roblox. Exactly. And they live in that world. And I know my little guy, Jake, he's kind of diverse over into Sandbox. And I got to be careful in that world. Yeah. But it's fun because exactly what you're talking about, my youngest son, he loves to build. Yes. So naturally, I'm going to let him go build things in that world. And he's going to own it, right? Yes. So the ins- importance of skins, it was funny because uh, we'll just blast this person. We won't say their name. But He's like, what is skins? And it's mm. like, well, do you play a video game naked? And he's like... Exactly. And, and how you, how you want to represent yourself, mm-hmm. whether you're an avatar that's showing up in any sort of gaming world or a Web3 world or just an open, shared, massive online environment, you're going to want to represent yourself in the way that feels most credible to you, what you care about what your values are, what your hobbies and interests are. So our hypothesis is if we really stand with this emergent culture and the creators in the most credible way, people are going to want to rep and flex Adidas in their offline world and in their online virtual realities. So it's I get asked often being the head of innovation for a 120-year-old company. Yours is 75-plus. It's, yeah. it's, it's a struggle, right? Yes, and the first thing we always get is, oh, well, should we put billboards in the metaverse? And yeah. I'm like, no. Or, or me. Should we build a store in the metaverse? Yeah. I'm like, that's the, that's the most obvious worst answer. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and we've seen that done, right? You have Louis Vuitton that's done it. But as a sneakerhead, and obviously you're a sneakerhead working for the company, and I promise next time you and I chat, I'll have more than four pair of Adidas. Yeah, represent. Represent <laughs> me here. But I think it's imperative, right, to better understand that the virtual world is much different than the physical world. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people like my, my avatar that lives in the metaverse is a guy with a space helmet, obviously has some rad sneakers, but it's the opposite who I am 
you know, very clean cut guy I, I in bet the it, world. I bet it's the most expressive version of it's you. It's the best, right? Right? Because you would look a bit goofy walking into this yeah. space, into this conference, rocking a NASA hat. Right. But, or NASA helmet. But if you did it in the virtual world, you're like, yeah, this guy's going to the moon. Yeah, exactly. So you talk about, um, you guys do such a great job with collaboration with sneakers that are being built. That's what I love is how does, how does someone that lives in the physical world, they're purchasing sneakers in the metaverse. You guys are potentially dropping sneakers in the metaverse as you're dropping them in the physical world. Or do you let someone build out their own sneaker in the metaverse? And then maybe you start to do just random collaborations with just random avatars that are in the space. That is all I'd say things that we're thinking through and unpacking right now because Love the it. next big move we think will be everyone's trying to win how people will express themselves. Mm-hmm. It's why first people into Web3 and really going into open metaverse have been luxury brands, media and entertainment, and fashion. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to continue down into consumer goods from there. So, I mean, t- the short answer is like, all of those are opportunities, but we're now trying to figure out what's the right way for us to participate and show up, what's going to be the way that helps to solve a problem for creators. And look, if you look at our collaboration roster, I mean, we've just done projects with Gucci, with Balenciaga, with Prada. We've worked for years with Pharrell Williams. We have Ivy Park and Beyonce. We also work with some up-and-comers like Daryl Brown, Addison Chen, some of the maybe lesser-known to popular culture and one of the great things about adidas is we do embrace the up-and-comers we're not just going with the elites right Mm -hmm. and so as a result we think there's even more opportunity to democratize access to people getting to be able to you know create the skins and create the way they want to express themselves and so that's something that we're thinking through next is is how might we do that how might we do that in a way that still keeps the premiumization of the brand high, keeps it the quality high, credible, but at the same time closes the gaps between just influencers getting to come in who are really the known elitists and this next up and coming generation that are really savvy and really pushing edges, playing around and messing around with like AI and generative art. You know, that's that's where something that's like really fascinating to us right now. Yeah, that's exciting. And look I could probably talk to you all day, but I know you gotta jump. Um, in the out-of-home space, Lamar specifically, we just bought a company called Colossal. They're a hand-paint company, and we're beginning to have that conversation, right? And they do a fantastic job, but we had a brand come to us and said, like, hey, we've been doing these walls for years. What if we did an NFT of the wall? What if we had a working NFT of the paint bucket that was used? And what if you can digitize that hand-painted wall that's gone next month? And then how does that live in the metaverse and creating something of more value. So the biggest thing, we really need to continue to expand our mind and the ad world. And it's not, the answer in my opinion is not put a billboard up in the metaverse. Correct. The answer is collaborate with brands, open your mind up to different things. Yes. And think of it as, you know, digital wallet. Wow. I think, I think one, of the, one of the things where Out of Home can really play a role, taking that idea of like, okay, what would we do with these hand-painted wall spaces? Like that's a beautiful living medium of art. It's really hard for creatives to get discovered. Yes. Really hard. Mm-hmm. And it's often why the big brands just go with the established 
you know, known celebrities because they've got the built-in reach, got built-in engagement. And a lot of times media is really still looking at, you know, those reach and frequency and they're not talking about, you know, earned media or the quality and the quality and credibility of the conversation that's created around the brand. So to play off that, I, I, I would advise or I would suggest really looking for ways to help creators get their creativity and artwork discovered and put it in interesting contexts mm-hmm. that really spark a conversation. And there's plenty of conversations we need to have in raising awareness. I mean, look at all the challenges going on in the world around us and mm-hmm. ways that we can bring more optimism and, and joy into the world. I mean, art is a wonderful way to spark a social discussion. And so I think there's huge opportunity for Out of Home to play in this medium. I love that. I love that advice. Before you go, you left us on stage mm-hmm. with one word. Yes. I'll let you say it. I forget. It. <laughs> it's uh, the Adidas symbol, so a W A G M I. The acronym. The acronym. Wag me. Wag me. Wag me. So leave our listeners what that means. Yes, it means we're all going to make it. I love it. It means we're all going to make it. I love it. Well, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. Thanks for it. having me. My pleasure. Paul Wilmington, CEO of Canvas Worldwide. Good to see you, my friend. Great to be here. What a fabulous event. And you just came off a of stage. I'll let you kind of introduce. Your friend, very good friend. Yeah, so it was great to be invited. Uh, We did a fireside chat, myself and Kristen Patrick, CMO of Claire's. Uh, We've collaborated multiple, multiple times over many years. Uh, She's been a storied CMO. She was CMO, global CMO at PepsiCo, CMO at Playboy Enterprises. We worked on projects as varied as reinventing Playboy to re-envisaging Mm-hmm. The Lay's brand or Tropicana, but uh, she's at Claire's, which is a 50-year-old retail brand. Most young girls know the brand or grew up uh, having their ears pierced there. Right. But it's completely re-envisaging what that brand can be to Jen's Alpha. Yep, absolutely. And that, that's interesting, right? Because I have two daughters that everyone that I saw approach her back here in the Lamar Green Room was, oh, my daughter got her ears pierced there. But what a fun challenge. But before we go into that, because I find you to be one of my favorite fascinating people that I've seen through Barry over the years. So I'm going to brag about you for a second. You were Fast Company's 10 most creative and innovative people. You're just a, you're a ball of energy that I love. You've had the agency for six plus years and you're the second largest independent agency in the world. Yeah, no, thank you so much for saying those generous uh, comments. Yeah. I love building things. I love bringing new thinking to any sector of the market, whether it's working with a brand marketeer like Claire's or working with other clients of ours or, or trying to think of you know, a new path that we can go down uh, as an industry. So we're a communications and media services group agency. And uh, yeah, it's been a fabulous uh, six and a bit years. And wow. you know, we're now over 500 people. And uh, yeah, uh, the third party group called Converge said we were the second largest independent in the world. Uh, we're, we're larger than the largest independents in Germany or any of those markets. But you know, you kind of expect it because America's. Uh, but we position ourselves very much as the challenger to those incumbent holding companies. So I think we, we like to think we're. You know, we challenge the comfortable every day. We're trying to plow a new path for brands in a new media environment, new communications environment, etc. So it's a lot of fun. But yeah, I bring a lot of passion, as you can tell. So that's a great question. And we had a a good friend, Jim Price, uh, US-based agency, bit of an independent agency as well. And I asked him the same question. And I'll ask you, 
the involvement that you are on pitches, it has to be almost impossible, Paul, for you not to be like, hold on, guys, let me be a part of this. It's a, it's a great. I really, really have learned over the years. I've got the most amazing group of partners. Um, it's all about having empowering, bringing in the smartest people you respect that you just have you you want to hang with uh, as opposed to just work with in fact i've got uh, you know some of my partners in town this this week so we're having a dinner tonight but uh, where i'm going with it is uh, i i think in my earlier years i liked to you know my passion show but uh, often as not i just let others show their smarts in that combination of chemistry that comes from you know different minds at the table uh, yeah and and maybe with a few grey hairs sometimes, you know, in those pictures, I, I might close because I've kind of been able to sit and listen, mm-hmm. collect thoughts and not have a slide, not have a series of slides and then respond to what's been happening in the room and then, you know, kind of react. We're 500 people and without question, I've got some of the smartest people sure. around. Um, and by the way, a new generation who are thinking in completely new ways, which, uh, you know, is generational and it's native as opposed to you read about it. So that's great. Well, and you're a bit of a, a renaissance entrepreneur, kind of what you have been coined. That's fun, right? So we had Claire's. So going back to Claire's, that's all a very epic generational company that over the years has had to evolve. And what people often forget is that evolution of a brand has a lot to do with the agency that's involved with it. Yeah. And so what you're talking about is how do we go towards this, which I know she has to cringe, but she was so polite about it and smiled. Oh, my daughters get their ear pierced there. And it's like, oh my God, how how much does that cost? Like $10? And it's like, that's not the focus, right? Oh, no. I think that Kristen and the Claire's team are very, very proud of their roots, their heritage, they're not moving away from that. They're just expanding off that. So that beautiful narrative and story, it was the first, you know, one of those first growing up experiences that any hopefully fluid boy or girl today might go through is um, a rite of passage. And why wouldn't that be a magical moment? Why wouldn't you celebrate that? Why don't you build off it? But uh, yeah, it's apparel now. And again, I think Kristen talked about potentially moving into media and entertainment, collaboration. But um, I think at the heart of what you're also saying is um, is this ability to really deeply understand who your customer base is and the reciprocity, uh, you know, building a brand. I always loved a definition of a brand and I've kind of built on it. A brand really is the sum total of the experiences and touch points it has mm-hmm. with people. Sure. That's really a good definition. And, and advertising is a subset of marketing, marketing is a subset of communications because everything communicates. So the way you treat your employees, the way that your employees are advocates, the way that every aspect of communication, internal comms, external comms, and, and advertising is an important part of that, but understanding all those different stakeholder groups, B2B groups as well as B2C groups, is what I think you know. great brand marketeers are not 
just they they have proof points and that could be a documentary it could be a game it could be their metaverse it could be the nfts it could be the tv commercial that appears in the super bowl but it, these are all just elements in your story world sure. you know your story world is this ecosystem of the periodic table of content and content is a very complex beast today <laughs> and and what a fun process to be able to take a nostalgic brand like that and an actual pivotal experience in your childhood early on some kids yeah. to be able to revisit that person at a later point in their life how, how nostalgic is that and how yeah. much fun yeah and as an agency have and also that? you know parents are an important part of the audience because what sure. we realize is that duality of the parent relationship wow. with the the, the zalpha you know we talked about the zalpha generation mm -hmm. we've created our, our own audience older alphas and younger gen z's are zalphas so mm -hmm. that's our sweet spot but we do I really appreciate the nostalgia and the reinvention and the surprise and delight. But there are franchises you can look at, uh, you know, listen, there will be storied franchises that uh, an older generation can relate to a younger generation, whether it's Star Wars. You know, Top there'll be gun. the older generation went and saw it as kids, and yep. then you go with your kid to see the Star yep. Wars, or watching it on obviously Disney Plus, or you know Marvel, buying Marvel comics, and now obviously living in a, a Marvel story world. I mean, all of these things allow that duality to and and good you know good strong brands that have a heritage tap into that, and that's what makes in entertainment a huge franchise is you want it to be universal, mm -hmm. and the universality of the Marvel franchise is that you can go as a bunch of mates uh, or you know but you can also go as a family sure. and 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 the experience can be shared in all of those situations yeah and perfect example because i actually big top gun guy in the u.s as a growing up and then i brought my kids and paul i was so worried i was like god they're not going to appreciate this the way that i did as a child and i yeah. found myself watching it with my three kids and they were just blown away by it yeah. and then to your point literally three days later me and a bunch of buddies went and watched it at lunchtime and had a completely different experience and it was the same movie yeah and and that and that's why it was such a blockbuster because somehow it transcended maybe the original top gun yeah. and actually increased the franchise double yeah. um I, I think there's a strong appetite for incredible storytelling mm -hmm. uh, on the big screen as well so but i agree with you you know i love maverick I love the original Top Gun, but and and also that cross reference, which might be lost on a new generation. But there was a lot of nods and winks to, yes. you know, the, the the original story. And maybe you will go back and mm -hmm. go and watch Top Gun with your kids as well, right? You know, which will yeah. be fun. So, last question, because I could talk yeah. to you for a long time. Yeah. Having generational, so we're talking about generational. The medium has evolved, and the out of home industry. You know, Lamar, the oldest billboard company in the U.S., 120 plus years, but now welcoming. A lot of these other new emerging channels, not only in the out-of-home space, but now you're having influencers dictate massive parts of the brand. You have folks like TikTok. You have all sorts of new media type that you have to wrangle in and say, okay, what's right? What's the right media mix? So in a short answer, because I know that's, a, <laughs> that's an hour and a half answer. No, I, I love the question. And by the way, Lamar, uh, class group um, love everything you've done 
for the industry. You've been champions of your industry, but also I think you're at the leading edge of trying to reshape what you would, how you define that industry. I think the first thing is muscle memory. I think you've just got to think of yourself in, in a new way. Um, I know you are out of home. Uh, let's remember what that, those words mean. Uh, I think that uh, absolutely lean into technology, lean in, you know, on the B2B side, obviously, the ad tech side of it is going to be hugely important to scale your business in a new age of automation and things like that. That's obvious. But on the B2C side, I mean, clearly, it, it's, it's always fascinated me that I give a couple of examples. I do think as you are physical in a digital age, you can digitize what you're doing. Absolutely. But it's physical digital. And it's about real people in real situations. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said on stage, memory is such a complex thing. It is made up of all of our senses. It's not just a haptic type and a screen, whether it's a mobile phone or obviously a screen. What you do is you liberate yep. digital. Um, but you also, even on your traditional side of the business, you allow what could otherwise be digital become physical and we know that obviously in the heyday you know DTC brands loved using out of home look Netflix doesn't exist as a thing it's this there's a headquarters I mean yes there's the residual you know DVD business but anyway it's not a thing guess what they are obviously huge advocates the entertainment business um, is not a thing they don't have retail you provide that and I think that that's a strategic meta thought that often is missed in the media planning process but also the power of what can be done in your medium but yes you know the atomization of media obviously the atomization of what is out of the home or in all these other environments I think is going to be such a powerhouse to connect back to the big platforms that have obviously in the last decade sucked up a lot of the oxygen in the conversation, in the marketing conversation. But the counter to that, I think, is your complementary role in that world. Yeah, I love it. Paul, love your energy. Always appreciate your time, my friend. Uh, Yeah, this shows we're live. We've got some loud music. But thank you so much for inviting me on this. Thanks, my friend. So I'm back here backstage with Kathleen Hall, Chief Brand Officer of Microsoft. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. Just talking about your children, (laughs) the world of multiples. Yeah. (laughs) I'm excited. I'll let my wife know that there is an end to the to the madness. Uh, it's a different kind of madness. Yeah. It goes from physical to emotional, I think. And then like looking for bank account. <laughs> and then financial, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So you focus a lot on the activation of brands. You touched a bit on, on stage. Just diving right in. Yep. Most exciting activation that you've done with uh, Microsoft. I, I have to say it's the one I talked about on stage. The Times Square activation yeah. that we did which we call a Times Square takeover 10 years ago. So it was a real first where we physically took over the Times Square space and we had demos set up on devices for all of our OEMs because, as you know, oh, wow. all of our OEMs are like a community. Mm-hmm. And um, we had people coming and drawing murals live that were projected onto the American Eagle building. We had brides and grooms stopping by to do, like, Photoshop. I mean, it was just it was just such an event and as a new yorker to come home to my hometown and do something so big and meaningful it was it was really an amazing experience that's exciting so can uh line creative marketer of the year yeah it's a bit of a big deal congratulations thank you i'm as barry fry says every year i'm 
set to go to can but never actually make it. It's a tough time of year. It is. Yeah, especially with kids, yeah. Yeah. But what a great rewarding reward that you got and I'm sure you have a fantastic team that helps. So maybe touch on that a bit. The the importance of building team, the importance of having, you know, people that think a lot like you, that are inspire you and really kind of help take that brand to another level. Yeah, I mean, it's probably hackney but team is everything, right? And and having a consistent goal in terms of what we want the brand to be and where we want it to go so that all the products kind of align to it and feed it is key. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of independence and there's a lot of connection, which I think is important for creativity. Yeah. So working working for a, a very well-known legacy tech brand. So often we were talking with a guest earlier about the legacy of Claire's. So, you know, the first thing talking about Claire's is everyone was like, oh, I got my ear, ears pierced yep. there. But drawn beyond that, right? So how do you take a legacy brand, legacy tech brand like Microsoft and continue to refresh it? You know, I think that it's interesting. Our legacy was product. Mm -hmm. um, and our initial equity was all about the product. And as happens in many categories, eventually the category matures and you have to have a brand and values component that's mm -hmm. your differentiator and also your, your kind of true north to build to. And I think for Microsoft, when we landed on, through research and a lot of work, the empowering us all position, mm -hmm. um, I think it's just inspired us to continue to evolve because we're not about the shiny thing, like mm -hmm. a lot of technology companies are, sure. one in particular to be named. <laughs> and we're not about the individual and we're not exclusive or inclusive. So the, there was so much about our brand that was so clear, it just kind of needed to be articulated. And with that as your framework, then evolution is kind of easy because sure. you kind of know the, the container that you're in and what you need to continue to deliver on from a values perspective. Yeah. So you, you talk a lot about um, the power of a good idea. And that's such a, such a simple statement, but it has so many meanings and has so many opportunities, especially when you're, you're focused on branding. What, what does that mean to you? Wow. The idea is the way of coming at an insight that is unique and fresh and resonates in a way that coming straight at it might not. A lot of times I'll see creative and I'll say, yeah, it's a fastball down the middle. Mm. It's a nice pitch, but... I've seen it before, seen right? It, yeah. You want to see something that the approach is what difference. For example, we did the the girls in STEM campaign. I don't know if you remember yes. when. Yeah, and it was all you probably among all those kids, there might be a girl there, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Two yeah. Of them. And um, you know, the core insight was, you know, we started with the premise of why are women not in technology. Mm. And then as you peel the onion backwards, they're not in technology because they're not graduating with the right degrees. Mm -hmm. Well, why aren't they graduating with, with the right degrees? Well, somewhere around fourth to sixth grade, middle schoolish, it becomes desocialized to become good at math or science. They end up the only girl in the room. So mm -hmm. it becomes a lonely endeavor. So that's the core insight. There's a lot of ways you could execute that. The way we executed it was to ask girls who their inspiration could be. Who are the scientists out there? And they would say Einstein or Tesla, and they couldn't name a woman. Mm. Like, that was a huge... So the way you came about it, the insight was key, but there's a lot of doors in, and if it's a surprising way in, I think that's what resonates with people. Yeah, and how, you know, again, because everything has to do with marketing and branding, but what a beautiful way of having a conversation, having an experience that's so pivotal in, in, a, in a woman's life. And that's, you know, my kids are 10 and I always tell them all the time. And now they're yelling at their brothers, like, I can do whatever you can do and do it even better. I could do it. Yeah. You could do better. But weaving in, weaving in that, 
organically the tools that are used rather than I've seen a lot of brands, a lot of competitors in your space that more throw it in your face and say, look at us, we're doing this. Right. And, and that's it, the worst thing. It is. Because even as I talk about that example, it wasn't just that insight and that particular video execution. It was then we sponsored programs in all of our retail stores for, we partnered with National Geographic mm. and we had female scientists come and do talks to especially, you know, lower income, less access communities, so the girls could be inspired. And then we started a patent program because women are very underrepresented in patents because the head of the U.S. Patent Office and our head of patent legal were both women for the first time ever. And so we created a process to help people submit patents and have us help them through the process. So there's always deep arms and legs. It's never, you know, you can't virtue signal. You just, you'll get called out. You have to have depth and commitment and truth. Yeah. what you do. We talk about that with a lot of not only female but male guests to the importance of authenticity yep. and how brands have to make sure that they're being authentic in their way. And we live in a world now where brands like to flex certain times of the year, certain yep. months. They'll quickly change out their images. And it and in, people are a lot smarter than that now. Right. Right. It has to go a lot deeper. I, you know, I, I'm thinking of pride when you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, throwing a rainbow on your logo is not the way to address it, right? There right. has to be a lot of real deep commitment and consistency and people, yeah. the communities know. Like, yeah. And, and people buy into the brand and will buy into the brand for life. Right. And, and that's what's key. And I, I love that that's the focus at, at Microsoft. I could talk to you all day, but the Hudson's right outside. It's a beautiful afternoon. It is beautiful. And you have a, a full glass of wine that I don't want to keep you from. So thank you for your energy. Thank you for everything you do in this Thanks space. Thanks for the questions. It's great. Yeah. And it's great to have you here. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Welcome back. So we've obviously had a, a lot of phenomenal guests. And you know, we spoke with Erica from Adidas. And I had the pleasure to meet uh, Sami Bloom with individual. Yeah. So back here in the Lamar Green Room, we get to meet a lot of, of the amazing speakers, but oftentimes those speakers come with even more interesting, if that's possible. <laughs> I don't know. Erica was pretty, she I don't set know, the Erica's bar high. Down. That's, yeah, it's, yeah. that's a hard competition. But So you and I got to talking and I was mm-hmm. like, you're a fascinating individual. Mm. The company that you founded. Yeah. I, so I'd love for you to just kind of give us a little bit more about the company and we'll, we'll dive in with a handful of questions. For sure. So yeah, so so Individual is a talent development and branding company. So when people ask me what I do, sometimes I'll say that I'm an artist working in the medium of real characters. Oh, I, love um, that. I have a professional training in theater um, where I really learned to tell a story. And a lot of that then came into later work I would do in impact investment, critical social theory, and art and design. So I worked across a lot of different industries. And all of them, of course, are led by human beings in their own acts of becoming. And so uh, Individual came about after a lot of years working across brand and creative marketing, advertising, social impact work, and finding that we were having a lot of leaders come to us when we were working on projects and saying, hey, my personal website sucks, or my social media isn't so on point, we're about to get a million hits on this, or the New York Times is calling, but my PR firm isn't giving me a story that's anything that you know is better than what an intern wrote, <laughs> and we need something more meaningful. And so we saw sort of a, a bit of a gap there that we really wanted to, to fill by developing a holistic approach to personal platform development. And so indeed, Erica is one of our incredible members at Individual. Uh, we basically form a personal studio around each member that allows them to holistically develop their platform in alignment with their goals. 
I, I love that because unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't give you the ability and it's like, oh, so you basically manage a bunch of influencers and you're like, <laughs> which, yeah. which yeah. was asked you earlier. That's I the had, misconception. Yeah, yeah I for sure. You know, I, look, I, I have a lot of friends that are influencers and we certainly work with a few, but our general approach is with operators, right? I'm really fascinated by people who desire to continue to expand their thought leadership, but they derive that thought leadership from real world experience. I think there's a lot of influencers out there, especially in the world of business, fashion, entertainment, who may have a good sense of what's going on in industry, but when they're not in those rooms, when those decisions are being made, when work is being created, right. when they actually need to operationalize and actionalize these you know, idealistic views of what's going to happen, they don't really um, necessarily have the foundation to give advice that's a useful utilization of the attention that they garner, right? So we try and really look at the ethics of attention. And when we think about the ethics of attention in a digital era where people are fundamentally being exploited for their attention, we want to be really sharing from platforms that are trying to provide authentic value to the core burning points that those people are dealing with. Not to exploit where they feel deficit or to exploit where they feel like they're not enough, but instead to empower them to address the problems that they have through people who can really solve the things that they're seeking to address. Yeah, and that's so powerful, right? It's a lot of executives that you deal with. And so a couple of, couple of things that I picked up on when you and I were talking earlier is as an executive, you're in this comfortable zone. Yeah. And oftentimes when you go speak at conferences like this, it's just really like, all right, cool. I'm the expertise here. You show up. Yeah. I'm a big fashion person. You show up and you don't realize like, did you polish your shoes? Did you think about your brand image? Did you think about <laughs> you what think you about look? What social they're going to go look up Correct. or what your personal site is going to be. Right. Yeah. But it's it's interesting because you, you call it operation. What's the first thing we do when someone's on stage who said something really interesting? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tweet about it or I'm going to go to their LinkedIn and pull or it Or you're going to look them up. Yeah. And we're in a new era where that was the responsibility of media personalities. That was sure. an era in which, right, like those are the folks that had people like us to do that kind of work. Right. But we're in an era now where actually it's almost more like, you know, free agents. Like, yeah, LeBron plays for the team, but LeBron has a Nike deal. Right. And a lot of executives now are starting to actually demand their capacity to build a personal platform that extends their thought leadership beyond that role and to look at their role within an organization as not temporary, but certainly more focused on what role they're playing in an era of that company mm -hmm. and to then think about how they can continue to move forward. And I think the companies that are looking at it that way as well are the ones that are really on the forefront of the next era of brand and community being synonymous, right? So I, yeah, so it's two things, right? So influencers, mm -hmm. influencers are oftentimes selling a product. Yep. And to your point, that's already set and done. Charlie D'Amelio, Duncan comes to her, the creative agency's already built out, and it's like, hey, Charlie, we need you to do X, Y, and Z. Yep. But on the executive side, yeah. these companies have to start to look to folks like you to say, hey, that is my brand on stage. Yeah. So right. not only are you branding these individuals, but you're also gauging them for their next big thing that they're going to be doing in, in the in the workspace, whether it's a, exactly. a conference, it's a TED Talk. So what you're talking about is brand equity on two sides, right? So there's the brand, we talk about brand equity a lot, especially in more 
blue chip large scale brands that are looking at their proliferation of assets and touch points across a long period of time. But brand equity is a concept for personal brands as well. And I think there's two ways of looking at it. You know, on the one hand, there's interest from the executives themselves, as you're pointing out, to think about that long term development of their platform, not just for their ability to navigate externally, but also their ability to navigate internally. We all know that leadership isn't just about how we're, you know, communicating to the community outside, but how we look and how we're perceived with our own teams. And so for the ability to be able to fully tell our own story, to be seen in our truth, to be able to express our full selves can really help people in developing a leadership style and a relationship with their internal teams that's really effective. And then indeed building a platform that can open them to opportunities that extend beyond that executive role. On the company side, there's huge, huge, huge moment of opportunity right now, which is building talent as a channel, right? Uh, There's a study that came out last year. Pardon me, I don't have my source on me, but I believe it was 48% of Americans said in a study that they would engage with or purchase from a brand that they knew the leadership of or knew Ah. of the leadership, right? And so we're in an era of transition. Are we fully there yet? No. But is it absolutely the inevitable future? Yes. One in which we see brands as becoming less trustworthy, which is why, as Erica said on stage today, influencer marketing is taking a huge hit because Uh the the, the metrics are showing the tea leaves. And they're saying... People see the ad, they see, the, and, and that's a good thing that we have we have improved the privacy and ethics of that by saying this is an ad and we're being thoughtful about that, but it turns people off. Mm-hmm. When the leader of an organization provides authentic value to their audience, when they're seen speaking, when they're in community, when they're listening to their customers and beneficiaries, it demonstrates to people that they're part of an organization that cares about their customers. Mm-hmm. And I think that also from a partnership standpoint, other companies are also not just going to book someone to speak, but that's where they might say, hey, we should talk about doing a partnership. By being able to have that executive out at, at a conference giving a great talk and their deck is on point and they have their assets together and they're seeing that content follow up after they've engaged with them on LinkedIn, whatever, that isn't just about the executive. And the organizations that think that are behind the times. The organizations that are a part of a future that is inevitable are ones that see that developing that executive's platform in that way, letting them go speak, letting them create content is going to ultimately allow them to build partnerships with their organizations, build engagement with audiences and benefit that organization at large through a channel that is way more financially impactful, by the way, because they're already paying that executive a salary. And so if they can just support them to go and develop their personal platform, you know, we're here to talk about, you know, ad spend, right? Right. Fraction of what it might be on other channels. Shout out still to Lamar. But, you know, (laughs) but, but, you know, really understanding talent as a channel is a, a massive win as we move toward this content first economy that isn't just about kids on TikTok. It is also about sure. executives running these companies. Yeah. And Erica on stage, yeah, she dressed and that was authentic, but, <laughs> totally. you, but you helped dress the part, really making sure every facet of it. And, and as we kind of wrap up here, cause I could talk to you for hours about this, but another time we might for sure. I'd love yeah. it. But it's also the feel good that that executive has as well. For sure. That, wow, my company believes in me enough to invest in the brand that is not only, in Erica's case, Adidas, but also in Erica as a human. 
Yeah, and I think I think for individual, we really see that opportunity being right in between there. On the one hand, we see it as working with those executives directly, and a, a huge number of our members, because we're you know membership based, um, are independently coming to us and investing in their own membership. But I think again, as I said, some of the organizations that have come to us and said we want this for our executives are really ahead of the curve in a way that we're going to see more of, and probably ultimately actually balance the revenue and the business that we do within the direct uh, membership that we. That we Garner. I love it. Sami, keep up the amazing work. I wish we were on video because your style is so exciting. <laughs> I applaud you and excited about the path that you have. And um, you of know, course, thank you for bringing Erica to us. And thank you so much for having me today. Looking forward to chatting soon. Thanks, my friend. Hi, Pleasure everybody. to meet you. Well, that was a blast. We can't wait to have some of these guests on future episodes of Digital and Dirt. I want to give a special thanks to my good friend, Barry Fry, and the entire DPAA team for this year's DPAA Global Summit at Pier 60 in New York City. What a fantastic event. Digital and Dirt is brought to you by Lamar Advertising. To learn more, check out the links in the description or go to lamar.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify, Apple, or other platforms where podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.